Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Woolerton, Monticello's webmaster. Literally everything that Thomas Jefferson wrote is of interest to scholars. From before he wrote the Declaration of Independence to the last letter he wrote before his death on July 4th, 1826. But collecting all of Jefferson's papers is a long and arduous task. Sean Tubbs reports on the work being done at Monticello to systematically collect and publish all of Jefferson's papers after he retired from the presidency. Cap Monticello, Cap July, 2 Pier, 12 Pier. Cap Dear, Cap Sir, New Paragraph and Dent. You're listening to Ellen Hickman, a staff member at the Thomas Jefferson Retirement Papers, reading a letter that Jefferson wrote in July of 1812 to the collector of customs in the Port of New York. If a conveyance by a coasting vessel to Cap Norfolk or Cap Richmond can be found, it is too much the simplest, so much, rather, so much the simplest. Can you give me that again? It is It is so much the simplest. The strange words that she's using are actually indicating how Jefferson wrote the words on the page. That's the kind of attention to detail that the editors of the fifth collection of Thomas Jefferson's papers insist upon in order to ensure the most accurate presentation of his works. The project has taken a long time, according to editor Jeff Looney. The papers of Thomas Jefferson began in 1943 as the... uh, nation's project commemorating, one of two projects commemorating the bicentennial of Jefferson's birth. Uh, The other was the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., and that's finished, but the papers are still going on. And the idea was to create the definitive edition of Jefferson's letters and papers, including incoming as well as outgoing letters. Uh, We would gather all known texts and edit them to the most rigorous standards possible. Many of Jefferson's papers have been published before, but none of the collections were considered to be complete. Princeton University became the home of the new project, which released its first volume in 1950. Progress proved much slower than originally anticipated. The hope originally was that they could get four volumes a year out, which uh, was based on not completely understanding how long these things wind up taking. In fact, the Princeton project is just now getting to the era when Jefferson served as president. Looney says many historians grew concerned the project was not going to be finished during their lifetimes, so the organization that runs Monticello offered to help. Happily, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation stepped in uh, late in the 1990s and worked out an agreement with Princeton that enabled them to set up a second office here in Charlottesville under the aegis of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, and that would be responsible for the retirement years of Jefferson. We anticipate a total of about 23 volumes to get us from 1890 to 1826. Looney says the last 17 years of Jefferson's life are incredibly interesting to study. By then, Jefferson had written the Declaration of Independence, served his country as ambassador and secretary of state, and occupied the presidency for two productive terms. Retirement gave Jefferson new opportunities to satisfy his many curiosities. It's a period in which Jefferson is able to kind of kick back and write these long, reflective letters on whatever interested him. Uh, the, the corpus of his, his correspondence is always uh, very uh, diffuse, covering lots of different topics. People are writing him on every topic under the sun, and he's often responding. Uh, but in this period, the kind of the, the weight of it is not centered as much on, on politi- the immediate politics of the day. 
In retirement, though, Jefferson continued contributing to his country. For example, he sold his book collection to the nation to replace the small congressional library that was destroyed when British soldiers set the capital on fire during the War of 1812. Uh, and that kind of touches on a recurrent theme throughout, which is Jefferson's financial woes. It was tragic for him that he had to sell his library because he needed the money. Um, but it was uh, it was wonderful for the nation because the uh, Jefferson had created one of the finest libraries in America. Uh, and one which was organized on every field of knowledge. The, the debate at the time from the congressmen involved was whether they really needed a library that big for, for uh, the nation. And, but Jefferson's, uh, Jefferson's principle that in, in principle there is no subject that a congressman shouldn't be uh, interested in and, and able to pursue in the library uh, won out. Looney says the main hobby of Jefferson's old age was the founding of the University of Virginia. He did much more than write the legislation that authorized UVA's founding. He helped choose the faculty. He uh, chose the books for the library. He designed the buildings. He oversaw the construction of the buildings. He came up with a disciplinary code for the students, and he was the first rector. I think it was one of the great delights for him that he lived just long enough to see it open. Yet Looney says it will take quite a while for the retirement series papers to publish the full record of Jeffersonian correspondence from 1809 to 1826. The collection is publishing nearly every letter Jefferson wrote, as well as almost everything sent to him. Looney estimates that when finished, three-fourths of the entire collection will be material that's never been printed anywhere, a very valuable resource for future Jefferson scholars. One of the ways that we add value is to include the incoming letters. Another is that we uh, use all the available texts, and that really matters when you're talking about uh, a letter that Jefferson sent where we might have the version as it left, uh, as, it, as it arrived at the person, the recipient's copy, and also the one he retained. Uh, we can have a draft, which he edited substantially compared to what he sent in as well. Jefferson may have had future scholars in mind, given his need to account for everything he wrote. In the 1780s, he began keeping something called the Summary Journal of Letters. Until the end of his life, Jefferson logged in every letter he received and every one he wrote, and copied all of his letters with a letterpress until 1803, when he acquired something called a polygraph. The, the polygraph, there's a copy of it at Monticello people like to look at. Uh, uh, the polygraph takes two pens, and the second pen moves in tandem with the first, so that you actually, uh, on regular paper, have a, have a copy. And that's just a godsend for editors, because these press copies tend to be both fragile and really faint. When Jefferson traveled to Poplar Forest, he would use something called a stylograph, which Looney says produced very odorous copies. With so many possible texts floating around, previous editions of the Jefferson Papers may have counted draft letters as the actual correspondence that Jefferson mailed. But the fifth edition of the Papers has always sought to portray a more complete record. One of the things in which the, the first editor, Julian Boyd, really added value to the process was saying it's not enough just to get a single text. And uh, a great example in our period is a letter that Jefferson writes to Horatio Spafford uh, in which there, in which he talks about uh, religion and expresses some fairly uh, controversial views on kind of the, the religious practitioners of the day. Uh, that exists at the Library of Congress in three pages, and the Library of Congress described that in its, uh, in its uh, cataloging as a polygraph copy of that three-page letter uh, using Jefferson's copying machine. Um, 
and we would have assumed that that was correct. However, in the 1950s, we obtained a copy of that same, uh, of the recipient's copy of that letter from a private owner. And it turns out that the recipient's copy, the one that went out the door, was a two-page letter, not a three-page letter. He clearly decided that that was not stuff he really wanted to risk to the mails and to the discretion of the guy he was sending it to. Looney says the retirement papers cover about 15,000 documents, and that's not counting documents known to exist but that can't be found. And we know about quite a few of those because Jefferson kept a journal of all of his incoming and outgoing letters. And we need to account for those in our annotation as well. So the, the real goal and the way we hope to avoid a sixth edition is to kind of take endless pains to get what we do right and to avoid putting in a lot of kind of later scholarly analysis that will become dated as new scholars come along. So we have what we call a kind of a lean and mean editorial policy where we we don't uh, provide a lot of uh, elaborate explanation of everything or analysis of everything we're seeing. The latest volumes of the Jefferson Papers also feature one change from those that have gone before. Now the letters are copied in a much more literal fashion. Uh, up until a few years ago, we were routinely uh, making certain modernizations like capitalizing the beginnings of sentences. Jefferson routinely does not capitalize the beginnings of his sentences, and we ultimately decided to change in that direction in our published versions. Editors, as a general rule, are uh, more cautious about uh, making changes away from what actually appears on the page. The attention to detail is so intense that retirement paper staffers read aloud letters using a shorthand lingo to describe the kind of text that Jefferson used. Associate Editor Susan Perdue explains the process. We have the original document. Well, we have a digital scan of the original document. Uh, every known copy. In this case, we have two copies of this letter. So we have a copy from the Massachusetts Historical Society and the copy from, I think that was one that was owned by somebody in 1947. So we take the copy that we consider the master copy, which is the recipient's copy, the copy that Jefferson actually sent, and that's the copy we consider our master text. That's the copy we read from. And so editorial assistant Ellen Hickman reads the letter while Purdue listens, comparing the two versions for accuracy. Cap Monticello, Cap July, 2 Pier, 12 Pier. Cap Dear, Cap Sir, New Paragraph and Dent. I received, i.e., yesterday, your favor of the 26 Pier and lose no time in replying to it, Pier. Cap refers to a capitalized letter, while Pier stands for period. Sometimes there are discrepancies to be resolved out of which I wish Mr. Cap Herrick to receive, i.e., his, and it looks like three reworked to five, peer, Cap D peer, and for which... I have it actually the other way. Originally five and then reworked to, to three. three. That makes more sense. Well, how do you have it three reworked to five? That's what I'm seeing. Okay. I need to switch that. Okay. The process may be slow, but editor Looney says he is confident the project will be completed on time. The first volume of the retirement series was published last year and covers about nine months of time. He predicts this will be about the length of each subsequent volume. Jefferson wrote right up until he died, and though it will be years before the staff combs through his final letters, the retirement papers have already made one major find. We found one of uh, we found the last known letter Jefferson had written, which was one day later than what had hitherto been regarded as the last Jefferson letter. Uh, 
for many years, Jefferson scholarship had described this as, a, at the very least, the last extant letter was one of 24 June 1826, which is a marvelous letter in which Jefferson kind of gives his last political testament uh, for the nation in a letter uh, turning down an invitation to appear for the celebrations of the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And it was a just a, a stirring, marvelous letter to, to end on. We've always known that from his journal of letters that he wrote a, a couple of letters the next day, but we didn't have them and we thought they would never turn up. And then we, we recently did uh, find uh, not an autograph copy, but clearly a, a transcript of this letter in the uh, uh, on deposit of the Virginia Historical Society. So we we went from this political statement to a, an, actually an equally interesting private letter in which Jefferson arranges for the shipment to himself uh, of, a, of, a, of a shipment of wine from Baltimore. So we, uh, we now have these two letters, one of which is a great public statement and the other is Jefferson's continuing uh, uh, interest in uh, certain private pleasures. Jefferson's words live on in the pages of the Thomas Jefferson Papers Retirement Series. Look for a new volume to be published roughly once a year. For Monticello, I'm Sean Tubbs.